You're listening to episode 168 of the Tennis Files podcast on the five biggest mistakes that USTA players make. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today is a little bit of a different type of episode. I recently talked with my good friend Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching, where he actually interviewed me, which is a nice seat change, if you will, where I am usually the one doing the interviewing. And he asked me to present on the five biggest mistakes that USTA players make. And, you know, I came up with a list based on what I've seen and even mistakes that I have done as well um, on the court and, and before matches. And I think that if you pay attention to this episode and even just pick one of them that uh, is, is something that you uh, do incorrectly or, or, you know, a mistake that you make and you work on that and improve it, I think it'll make a huge difference. Because as we know, tennis is, is a game of, of millimeters and a couple points here and there. So even uh, a few points a difference um, that you'll gain from each one of these five different mistakes uh, is going to be really helpful for your game. So uh, that's pretty much it for the intro. Although I do want to mention that this interview that Pete did with me is, is a preparation or a warm-up for TennisCon 4, which is happening very soon, actually on October 18th. And I'm really excited to be a coach on there. And I'll be talking about how you can implement offensive topspin lobs in your game. It's a, it's a really a great stroke and something that you should be learning. And, uh, and you can learn it uh, at TennisCon 4. If you uh, sign up, you can check it out for free. And uh, you just have to go to tennisfiles.com slash TennisCon 4. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com slash TennisCon4, which is T-E-N-N-I-S-C-O-N-4. I knew you knew how to spell tennis, but, you know, might as well just spell it all out, right? So, again, I really hope to see you there. It's, it's a great event that Pete hosts. Um, but first, let's get into this interview that, that Pete did with me. So, without further ado, here is Pete's interview with me on the five biggest mistakes that USTA players make. We're, we're here for Maribon. Actually, he's got today five big mistakes that USTA players are making out there. Why did you decide on this topic? Well, I decided on this topic, uh, Peter, and thanks for having me on. It's always, like you said, really a lot of fun to talk to you. Um, you know, I part uh, participate, excuse me for stuttering, in USTA leagues a ton, and I have a lot of friends who play in them and uh you know we, we strategize and we talk about ways that we can improve and 
I, I'm also uh, the VP of my county tennis association. So I'm constantly trying to improve participation as well in the league. So it's just, you know, natural topic for me to try to help out USCA league players who, you know, I think can really benefit from today's session. Um, okay. So first of all, let me get this straight. You're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You run the tennis summit, which is absolutely huge. Thank you. You have a podcast called The Tennis Files, which is picked up by the Tennis Channel. Mm -hmm. You play on USTA league teams and you're, uh, what what was the title again that you're doing? Oh, I'm a a vice president of the, uh, of Montgomery County Tennis Association. My gosh. Okay. I'm feeling very bad about myself right now. No, no, you do so much too. I mean, I just don't have a life outside of that. That's all. (laughs) hey nothing wrong with that yeah yeah no i love it it's it's a lot of fun i know you do a great job um so you know what you asked me to make banners and i delivered i delivered so sweet um should we get right into this now now again let's tell everybody a little bit about your play what are you playing now what level first of all let's go into junior and then college and then what you're doing right now for usta yeah perfect that'll be fun yeah, so I played a, a ton of junior tournaments when I was young. Um, my highest ranking was number seven in the Mid-Atlantic section when I was in the 16s, and I got to play a Super National at Clay Courts in D.C., which was really cool because I live right around there. But yeah, and then so I played in college, Division One, um, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, then took a few years off while I was in law school. And then fortunately, uh, my best friend, Victor, got me back into uh, tennis by the USCA leagues, which I found and have found to be just uh, so much fun and connecting with so many great people. And uh, yeah, so now I play 5-0 um, tennis leagues, USCA leagues. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Pretty good. Pretty good. That's awesome. I'm proud of you. Now, what made you decide to take it a step further? And it's a little bit off topic, but I think people will be interested. What made you decide to go from, okay, my friend got me back into tennis. I'll play league into all of a sudden like going crazy with tennis. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to do this summit. Like what made you decide to go that route? Yeah, I think I've always had this creative side and, you know, I obviously have this full-time job, but I was thinking of ways that I could be uh, creative or have like some sort of side thing going on. And then so one day I was searching for some tennis tips. Uh, I think it was on the backhand. And clearly, I I didn't end up on crunch time coaching. But um, I figured, you know what, I feel like I can also contribute like I played for decades and uh, have some good knowledge to share. And it would be fun for me as well to document, you know, what I learned along the way as well. So that's how I ended up um, starting tennis files. And then as far as the podcast, I, I was searching for a tennis podcast, and I didn't find any at the time. Uh, that that was interviewing players and coaches. So whether that's through my poor searching <laughs> skills or whatnot, no. uh, or there, yeah, not being any. So I just figured, hey, you know what? Like, let's look into how we can create this. And it actually wasn't so bad. So, and I was interested enough to actually go forth with it. And this from there, I'm just trying to uh, learn from great people like yourself um, and others on how to provide further value. And so there's a, a myriad of ways to do that. So like this live stream here. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And congratulations to you. I think you're right, right in front of the podcast explosion and uh, definitely one of the first. Uh, so, you know, you are creative, you are a visionary. And um, I know for me, you know, doing these interviews, doing tennis con, you doing the tennis summit. It's like when you interview all these people, 
you just get loaded up with all this tennis knowledge that you want to teach to other people and that you want to use yourself when you're on the court, whether it's a technical tip or or a, um, a mental thing. So it's really, really awesome. We got 78 people on, so I'm sure they're like, guys, get to the lesson. It's my lunchtime. I got to learn. What's wrong with me? What mistake am I making here? So here it is. Number one. Number one. Bam. Marabon, take it away. What do you mean? Don't, don't perform a, a dynamic warm-up. Big deal. I can go out there. I'm a warrior. I go out there to start hitting playing. What, what's wrong with that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I first kind of realized this because I, I constantly was was having a very poor start when I was playing uh, these matches. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, like, what is what is the problem here? But I realized that what I was doing was I was just showing up to the court and then playing, uh, you know, having a five-minute warm-up and then playing tennis. And so I've, I've done all these interviews and things like that. And, you know, one in particular was with, with Dr. Mark Kovacs of the Kovacs Institute. And um, they've done studies on this. And, you know, performing a dynamic warm-up is much uh, more effective than what a lot of people do in, in performing these static stretches and so in case you don't know exactly what a dynamic warm-up is, um, it is essentially active movements that mimic the movements that you make on the tennis court. So some examples are walking knee hugs, monster walks, and twists. And I want to just uh, bring up, uh, do a quick screen share. It's just going to be pretty brief, actually. But let's see, application window. And so it's just a video of, of um, you know, doing some of these uh dynamic warm-up so can you see that uh i put it right in uh, people are seeing you work out getting those knees up and pulling yeah so you're not holding yeah. it you're picking it up exactly so there's a bunch of different uh you know dynamic warm-up exercises and the great thing about this is you don't need a tennis court i mean obviously it is kind of nice like if you do have the opportunity to uh, to perform these on a tennis court, you can do that. But a lot of times with, with USTA league matches, especially if they're indoors, we're actually not able to take the tennis court in advance. So you can just find any empty space and you can do these types of exercises. And what you're going to find is that you're going to be much more primed or your muscles will be much more primed to, to um, one, uh, perform at their best, and then two, um, to be able to prevent injuries as well. So I, I really find that uh, the dynamic warm-up is, is a great way to, uh, to just prepare yourself for these matches. And so, you know, the next time that you go to a match, a USA League match, or even any match, and, you know, you have that urge to, like, talk with your teammates for, like, 10, 15 I mean, that's okay, but you, you can still do some of these movements while talking to, talking to them. But I find that the most serious players, and I can even remember back to the junior days, and of course, obviously the pro days, uh, you know, professional players right now, um, you know, they're taking this 30 minutes, an hour even to perform the dynamic warm up. And so, you know, you just have to kind of fight that urge to to just tell yourself like pizza at all, like I'll be fine because you could is that could be the difference between injuring yourself. It could be the difference between winning and losing. So uh, the dynamic warm up is really important. And, uh, you know, I want to know how many of you actually perform the dynamic warm-up uh, before your, your matches and playing. Um, you know, Pete, is that something that you, that you do as well? Is that something I do as well? I do it better now, to be honest. Uh, but there was, a, there was a time when I didn't do it as much as I should have been doing. I, I, I 
fully admit that. And, you know, another thing that I found very interesting is I was listening to this one guy. He was basically giving like life advice and he was talking about um, productivity. And he said that, you know, to really get uh, a focused hour of work in, it actually takes more than an hour. Like he says, like your first 15 minutes of what you're doing, you're not going to get into a flow state anyway. It like doesn't count. So if your first 15 minutes of actually trying to get into something is to go out on the court and start hating and playing, this might be why you're down a break or two consistently. If you go and you're getting your warm up and you're getting your mind right and you're doing the dynamic warm ups and then, you know, next even shadow stroking. Like one thing that's cool is now more than ever, we get access behind the scenes of what these players are doing before matches. I remember last year at the U.S. Open when we could actually watch a crowd in the stands and all that. Remember those crazy times? They showed Rafa behind the scenes and he was doing all these dynamic warmups just like you were doing. And then he got his racket and he's doing all this hitting. So when he goes out on the court, he's like totally in the zone. He's revved up, he's geared up, and he's ready to go. So for your next match, next time someone comes up and starts to talk to you and asks you if you want some cheese balls, you just tell them, no, get away. I'm warming up. I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm pumped up. It's time to go. So I totally agree with you, Maribon. Nice stuff. And way to call me out on being not doing the right thing. I appreciate <laughs> hey, that. <laughs> hey, I'll call myself out. You know, I remember when I was a junior and I was in the 16s, you know, ranked like decently high, all that top 10. But uh, one of my friends, Trent Huey, who is now a professional uh, tennis player, he's a, a you know, a, a very solidly ranked doubles player and also reached like the core, the semis of Wimbledon, I think. And so uh, before my match at one of these championship tournaments, I was just actually chilling in the car like 15 minutes before. And my rationale was that I didn't want to tire myself out by <laughs> by warming up. And then so she saw me in the car and she banged on the window and she said, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> like You need to warm up. Um, so I appreciated that from Trett's mom. And you can obviously see, you know, where he is now on, on the pro circuit. So that, um, that's awesome. You know what yeah. else I appreciate? What's John Craig, Performance Plus Tennis, who's another tennis con all-star, taking time out of his busy day to join us again for a second week in a row. And John, today, text me. We have to, maybe next Friday, we can go and we can Sweet. teach the people something. Because I want to do a lot of these live streams going into TennisCon and continuing it through TennisCon. We're going to do a ton of live streams, guys. So if you love these, keep staying tuned to the channel and definitely Maribond's channel. Okay, are you ready for the next one? Look at this. As a senior 55 player, which first of all, Bruce looks like he's in darn good shape. It's very important yeah. to warm up and prevent injury. You know, just looking at Bruce's picture here, and Bruce, I hope I hope you don't mind if, if I'm just going to brag on you a little bit. One of the things that I'm noticing, the people who go online and learn tennis, like if you just go out to a regular tennis court and you see people over 40 years old, it's like watching an episode of, what's that zombie show? The Walking Dead or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay, that's what it's like lots of times, unfortunately. But the more people I get to know who study stuff online – they're the fittest and the brightest. I'm serious. Like they come visit me all over the place. They're always super fit. Even people in their 70s. I, I had one guy in his 80s. He might have been in better shape than me, Maribon. I'm not going to lie. I'm not kidding. So you guys are an inspiration to us. That's why we come on. That's why we do this. You guys are awesome. Look at Charlie. Look at that forehand Charlie's hitting. Love you guys. You guys are incredible. Okay. Next one. Bam. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
Um, and by the way, you can check out that that dynamic warm up video on YouTube. But all right, number two, um, don't recognize patterns and make strategic adjustments. This is a mistake. So obviously, um, I find that a lot of USCA players are not recognizing what's going on in their matches, and then they're not making adjustments as well. I mean, I've been to you know sectionals, nationals, regionals, local matches, and I've observed. You know, it's really important to observe your own matches and also other matches and, and to try to pick up on what people are doing and not doing. And so I see that people and players are not able to pick up on their opponent's habits. And the best players are conversely always finding and implementing solutions against their opponents. I mean, there's, you know, one example I remember from uh, last year I was at sectionals and I was watching a 3.5 doubles match. And then, you know, you'd see the two players at the baseline just hitting 10, 20, 30 um, ground strokes at cross court at each other. And then you look at the net players and you, you recognize that they're not really thinking about what's going on. They're not making any adjustments. Uh, they're not trying to poach. They're not even trying to, uh, to move up and, and back, you know, depending on where the, you know, who's hitting the ball and where the, where the ball is at uh, as far as offense and defense. And so these are things that you really, when the point is going on, you have to kind of think to yourself, like, what can I do to seize the advantage during these points? Um, so an example of some adjustments that I like to make are if an opponent is serving to my backhand quite a bit, uh, one adjustment that I like to make is I take a couple steps to my left. I'm a righty. And so in that way, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll kind of bait them to serving to my forehand. Um, which I like. So that's an example of one adjustment. Um, also, if a player shows me that he or she is not able to volley that well, I might hit a shorter slice and then cause them to come up to the net and then make them play where they're not comfortable. Oh, another adjustment is if a player lobs me, if they keep lobbing me, say if I'm like a net player when we're playing doubles, then I'll make sure to kind of stand a, a, a bit farther back. And, you know, if a if a player never is lobbing me in a singles match or even a doubles match, I might actually encroach a little further up um, towards the net. So, again, it's just something that I've noticed that, you know, I, you always got to keep using the noggin, you know, uh, to, to recognize what is going on and make the adjustments because tennis is a game of millimeters and a game of, you know, points like one or two points could make the difference between. Uh, winning a set and a match. So uh, I really just want to emphasize to you, uh, it's also very rewarding um, when you can pick up, pick up on, a, on something that's going on and then find a solution and then execute on that, uh, what you found and then actually win. Uh, that is probably the most rewarding to know that I've used my, my brain uh, and what I've learned um, to recognize and then you know implement a winning play. So that's the second mistake I think people make is they don't, recognize patterns and implement uh, adjustments. Mirabai, I just got a question for you. How do you yeah. use the word like noggin, like an old man like <laughs> noggin, and not know who the eagle oh, man. just doesn't make sense to me. But what does make sense is everything that you just said. In fact, as, first of all, I just got to stop for a second. Mirabai, let's give them a golf clap. Everybody, golf clap. We have 111 now on, taking time out of their day to share their passion with us, which is really, really awesome. So thank you guys for being here. And as you were talking about making adjustments, strategic adjustments, it reminded me of uh, Jorge Capistani's coaching. He's a USPTA Master Pro and a USPTR Master Pro. Now, only 1% of the teaching world 
has accomplished that. I've looked at what it takes to become a master pro in either of them. And I said, forget it. That's way too much. And then he's the only one ever to be voted the pro of the year in both. So he's amazing. Check him out. And one of the things that he always talks about is he's like, we're always trying to like play in the zone. And we are always so concerned about how are we going to hit the ball today? And he talks about breaking the court up into sections and then intentionally and like just in like, which is great because I mean, the court is just made up of boxes, right? And he just talks about a simple thing of like aiming in different boxes and seeing how your opponents react to that and then figure out which box they really don't like. And then, you know, try and work the point around. Maybe you just can't go to that box they don't like. Maybe you have to go to another box to then open up the box they don't like, okay? So you just can't think one step like, oh, just hit that, that box. They hate that box. You might have to think, let's hit to this box, then I bring it to that box, and then I got them, you see? So really, really good stuff. Um, you are on a roll, and should we go forward? Any questions, guys? Oh, look at this. We have an elite pro right here saying, also, understand the patterns you are establishing in a match and know – uh, when when to break them. That's good too. Noticing tendencies, noticing like, I'm going to try this. I think it works. And then realizing, you know, when is it time to cut that and go to the next thing? That's an, that's a tough thing to kind of figure out too. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, sometimes you're just, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. And it's not working. I mean, you've got to change it up just like what John said. So um, great stuff. John's a great guy. I enjoy having him um, on my summit and tennis con. Definitely. Definitely good to, good to see you, John. Yeah, he's awesome. Okay, bam. Bam, all right. <laughs> Mistake number three is uh, you, 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 a lot of players, they play way too passively instead of playing what I like to call smart, aggressive tennis. And when I was thinking about um, you know, the topics to include for this discussion, I remembered my uh, interview with Emilio Sanchez, who was a top 10 player in the world on the ATP tour and also is the brother of Arancha Sanchez Vicario. And what I remember most about his interview is he was pointing out that players are just pay, playing way too passively. They're, you know, you'll watch them and there's these, all these balls that, that bounce short and it's like they're waiting for the ball to come to them instead of moving forward and taking advantage um, of these balls. And this is really a massively wasted opportunity in my opinion and his you know and a lot of people like like pete as well because i mean you could be putting a lot of pressure on your opponent you could be cutting off time uh for their you know the next shot by coming up to the net off of the approach shots and um instead you know you're letting them off the hook i mean i you know there's some players i remember who i played who i knew they would never come to the net you know unless they're forced to um by short slice so if they pulled me wide with a pretty good ground stroke, I knew in my head that I could actually just, you know, not hit an amazing shot. You know, I could hit a short ball. I could hit like a slice that wasn't amazing and I would be, wouldn't be under any threat. You know, compare that with uh, a player who you know is bringing the aggression and type seizing every opportunity. I mean, that's scary. <laughs> you know, you don't like to play players like that. So, and sometimes, you know, when I talk about smart or aggressive, you might see the opposite sometimes too, where players aren't really choosing the right shots to come forward uh, off of. So I'm just going to share my screen again. These are very brief clips um, from a couple of my uh, YouTube videos so that I don't, uh, you know, encroach upon anybody else's work. But, um, you know, this is uh, just a clip of two players. And then you'll notice here that 
Um, you know, this ball is, is bouncing like so short. I pointed to the screen. You can't see me, but, you know, and then the player is just hitting it and coming back um, like that. So that is an example of, um, you know, not taking advantage of short balls and not having that offensive mindset. Um, and then there's another example here where you have the player. It's, it's the opposite, actually, where the player is they're hitting. You, you see where they hit the ball here? And then the player and the and the opponent is is here in the middle of the court, pretty comfortable. And yet you see the player decide to actually, uh, and you know I blabber on a bit here, but the player actually ends up uh, coming into the net. Let's see if we can kind of, yeah. <laughs> so the player actually hits the ball and comes to the net, and then because of um, you know this kind of a I would say poor decision, then the player is hitting uh, a half volley um, right at their foot. Uh, so that's not great. Um, yeah, that's pretty much where they hit it. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that we have to be a little more, um, a little more aggressive in spots where we can be and, and also be smart about it as well and not just go insane and hit, you know, a bunch, try and hit a bunch of winners everywhere. So, um, that's, you know, that's my third mistake. I think, I think players mostly need to on the, on the whole, if I were to pick one side, be more aggressive but um, also be aware of, of your aggression and play smart. Mirabon, you got me so excited about tennis. I've actually turned into a tennis court. Pete, where are you? What? <laughs> That's me. Oh, my I'm, gosh. I have no mouth. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got, oh, there so, you are. I got so excited. I had to go run and get my court. My court is so pathetic, though, compared to, like, essential tennis is like new TV court. Oh, my God. That's awesome. But yeah. I did want to point out, and you pointed out too, as far as playing passive, there's so many people that, that get really, really tough first volleys because they, they'll, they'll be in a cross-court rally, right? And then they'll get a short ball, but they stand here and let the ball, because they really want to take a good whack at it, right? They really want to take their time. So they'll hit the ball here, and then they'll run, and they can only get to about here, and now they're always getting all these first volleys right at their feet. So when you see that ball bouncing there, your job is to get up to it as far as possible. So then all you have to do is take like one or two steps and now you're in the pole position at the net. So that's a really good, good idea as far as the whole idea of playing passive. And then um, the other thing is, is uh, I was interviewing again, Jorge Capasane yesterday. It was so good. Like I was thinking, wow, like there was one, one clip that we that he talked about where i'm like i would personally pay 67 bucks for that which which a lifetime access pass a tennis con cost and um and he was talking about this one story about how he developed a personal promise to himself where he played this one guy and three times in a row he lost to the guy because he just would not come over the ball on the backhand he kept telling himself like, you stink. Like, what is wrong with you? You're a big baby. Like, why won't you come over the ball? Like, he would just beat himself up in the parking lot. We all know how that feels, right? Just the drive home yelling and screaming at yourself the whole way home. There were people in the next, you know, car look at you like you're insane. Yeah. And you're like, what? I just lost the match. Leave me alone. So, <laughs> anyway, um, so he made a personal promise to himself where it wasn't about winning the next match, but it still went down to a tiebreaker. But he kept the promise in his mind, and he actually executed and went over the ball, won the tiebreaker. So, you know, sometimes our promises to ourselves have to become more important than winning and losing. That's where I'm going with that whole thing. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, totally agree. It's got to commit. Uh, on the call beautiful beautiful I, I love it i love the passion and i also love this comment by jeff that we have just seen a preview of pete's halloween costume which is a tennis court <laughs> <laughs> that's right oh man that's right oh, um and also uh, mark wanted a a recap uh, of the first three so i can give it to him we're, and we'll recap all five later um, we're gonna but... recap all five later mark da- mark davis is just like he's so high maintenance that <laughs> Yeah, he's, I mean, actually coming, he's actually coming to visit me in a week. We're going we're gonna to do some tennis together. Beautiful. Good choice, Mark. Good and Mark's going to buy me beer. Oh, great choice. I think so. If you drink, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> cool. Let's go to the next one, and then we will recap everything at the end. Okay. Okay, perfect. So, uh, uh, oh, you were going to say something, Pete? No, I'm just looking for the next one. Way too passive. Okay. Boom. Yes, exactly. So um, I want to play a quick clip. Clip. I hope that this actually plays, or, or actually, more importantly, that the audio plays. If not, I'll, I'll recap it um, for you. But let me just bring it up here, just uh, dealing with technology. But I think we're probably OK. Pete, do you see it? I see it, and I've just put it there. OK, let me know if you hear it. Can't hear anything. Oh, OK. No problem. Well, basically, uh, you know, just a little video I put together, but basically with that one is I interviewed uh, James Blake a couple of times, actually, and it was really cool. Um, he is a, a top-notch guy. I remember, actually, I'm pretty sure this was on my end, but I'm not sure, but we disconnected three times, and each time he was just like, uh, he apologized. He said, oh, I'm sorry, it's probably my connection. But anyway, what he talked about in his uh, interview with me, partly at least, was an assessment of things that you can control versus what you cannot control. And so, you know, some things that you can't control in the court that we often get annoyed with and let it seep into our, our game are things like, uh, you know, bad calls, um, some minor, minor annoyances or people cheering against you. Uh, maybe some, the court sucks. It's a, uh, there's cracks on it or something. Uh, there's, there's some wind going on. Uh, maybe the team score, you're thinking about that. And, you know, the main thing to think about, and I find very calming, actually, is that these are things that you cannot control. Uh, you can't control any of this, uh, especially when you're at the match. You know, maybe beforehand you could pick a different site or something, but you can't control any of these things. And so you're simply wasting energy if you're thinking about any of them and letting it piss you off, you know, which a lot of us do. And so instead, what you want to do is focus on what you can control, like James uh, spoke about on our podcast interview. You can control your focus. You can control um, executing your strategy to the best of your ability. You can control uh, your desire and your will to win. Um, th- that's what you can control. So, you know, when I think about what I can versus what I can't control, it really helps me refocus and really lifts actually weight off my shoulders in a way. And um, this kind of brings me to a practice that I do every single day that I really, um, really encourage you all to do, or at least check out. I mean, there's so many apps on this, and it's 
meditation. And it's a great practice for tennis because when you meditate, it's very natural to think about other thoughts. But what, what you have to do is to just refocus and bring yourself back to your breath or back to um, your focus on the sounds around you or whatever it is for that day's uh, meditation session. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, this comes back to the mental game. It's so important and it's highly undervalued, I think, um, you know, over technique and strategy, which are obviously very important. You know, there's all these different facets of the game that you need to um, have a high level of in order to be successful. But, you know, you just got to really, really keep in mind, like, you know, I can't change these things. I'm going to just release and forget about it. And this is like also a life uh, type of advice say you could just do it for anything really. So, uh, that's, that's the fourth mistake. I want pizza. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> find a Re Refocus. And I, Refocus. And, I, and I couldn't keep it in my head. No, <laughs> you know, what you just said is, is, um, so true as far as the things we can't control. And I know that I was guilty of that too. when I used to play a lot is, because we are perfectionists and we know what we're capable of and we want, we know tennis is like a performance and we, and we want to win, right? Like, I mean, no matter how much we listen to stuff, we're like, we want to win. So when things start to go against us, like a bad call, like the wind, like the surface is slower than you like or, or whatever, or as Dominique, uh, Dominic Dean, his shoes, right? On <laughs> the court. We start to, to freak out. And, and then I was interviewing Jeff Greenwald yesterday, who is amazing. He's a sports psychologist, internationally known, and especially for tennis. And he's one of the best players over 50 in the world. Like, the guy is amazing. And he was talking about how he expects things to go wrong. Like, he looks forward for things going the wrong, and then he takes those as challenges throughout the match that he looks forward to seeing how he reacts to it so he can learn from that and when you think about that that's actually pretty amazing and it's 100 true it's it's like yes we want to win but when we get to a deeper level like why do people do anything in life whether it's run a marathon whether it's they're going to start a business or whatever of course like this short-term kind of like mouse thinking is like because they want money because they want to win but the people who are like excellent at this stuff. They're like, no, I just love getting up every day and doing what I love to do. I love to create stuff. I love the challenges. I love my employees. Or I, I love, I love to know that on the seventeenth mile, I'm going to start cramping, but I'm still going to go anyway. Like for the people that are highly successful, it's usually not about those first couple of things that we all think about. Like I want to win. I want money. Like it's deeper than that. And so if we can all get to that deeper level, then we usually achieve the things that we want when we're thinking like a mouse anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's brilliant. And, uh, you know, it triggered a thought. It was one day where I was just thinking about the mental game uh, after I interviewed a mental game expert. I can't remember which one, if it was Alistair McCarr or somebody else. But, you know, it, it seems like, um, you know, the reason we get mad is because something that is unexpected happens. So when you were talking about um, the advice to kind of with that Jeff Greenwald said that, you know, you go in there expecting things to go wrong, then that's, that helps a lot. Um, you know, for example, expecting that you're going to make mistakes, that it's natural, that we're not um, machines that just make every single shot. When you have that expectation, then it, it really helps uh, you to not get 
mad and to not get angry and to just uh, refocus more quickly. So that's a great point as well. I really like that. Thank you, my friend. Are you ready for number four? Or is it? No, number five. five. Yeah, we're five. really ripping through these things. That's number good. five. Well, it's number just five. we've actually been on for 35 minutes, but it's just because you're so awesome. And we have 130 people on with us just being awesome as well. And uh, this is a big one. I, yes, got some, I got some things to say about this one, too, when you're done. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah prom- sure. you promise you let me have my say, too. I guess. I guess. <laughs> All right. So I wrote an article about this, um, I think, a couple years ago, and it actually got a good amount of readership, I guess. But I think that, and I'm pretty passionate about this, too. I think that people care too much about their NTRP ratings. And I think that Pete will probably have some similar thoughts and also semi-rage like I am about to do. <laughs> Maybe not semi-rage, but you know, ratings are an imperfect science, first of all. I think people worry so much about it, but I've had some some friends who have gotten bumped up and down um, who you wouldn't expect. You know, I had a friend who went 9-0 at sectionals and nationals, and he didn't get bumped up, which is strange, right? And then I also, my best friend, Victor, he, <laughs> I guess I just outed him, but he went one on one, uh, one and one on the year, right? No big deal. Um, with one default. So I think he, he had to default one match and then they bumped him down, which doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I mean, that's just the first point to make. It's an imperfect science. But probably the most important reason why we shouldn't care about our NTRP ratings is because thinking about ratings just simply distracts you from playing your best tennis on the court. Um, If you're constantly thinking about, oh my gosh, if I win this against this good player, I'm going to go, I'm going to be bumped up or vice versa. If I lose against this player who's who's lower rated on the weighted scale or whatever it is, I'm going to move down. Then you're already um, introducing more extraneous factors that really don't matter at all. uh, If you're the type of player who wants to be focused on improving your game and reaching the next level. Uh, you shouldn't think about your ratings. Also, uh, this is extremely, extremely annoying. And unfortunately, I've heard that there have been leagues set up just ex- specifically for this. But you see players, they're tanking their matches. You know, usually at the end of the year, they see, oh my gosh, my, my uh, win-loss is 13 and, and 2. Like, I'm going to get bumped up. Time to just tank and, and uh, waste everyone's time. So this player will either tank a singles match or get their doubles partner to agree to tank which is horrible and um that, that's just a waste of time for everybody and um you know what it's doing also is it's preventing you from from improving because if you are truly giving your best effort every time on the court and not worrying about your ranking then uh and and you know trying to improve your game and and you know watching these live streams and and taking courses and and whatnot then you're going to end up reaching the next level at some point which means you'll play better players so if you're tanking matches then you're actually what are you doing you're you're preventing yourself from being able to play the better players and you know i i found um you know when i play a higher level i my intensity is to is ramped up and you know there's a little more like pressure good pressure to be to to have to really take advantage of the opportunity you're given otherwise you're gonna probably lose the match so, uh, you know, I think it's very destructive to care about the NTRP ratings. And it's really funny to me that, uh, you know, and I, I get it. It's an exciting time to kind of see where you're at. But so many of my friends, you know, they're hooked on their 
monitors or phone or whatever it is at the very end of the year or I guess around Thanksgiving or so when when the night before when they change the USCA, the NCRP ratings to to see where they're at. And, you know, I think the person who is, uh, you know, focused on improving, they're not going to care about that. They're just going to play. They're going to improve. They're going to wherever they end up, they're going to end up and they won't care about their ratings. But there's a lot of people that care about it. You know, like I said, I'm I'm on the uh, I'm the vice president of the Montgomery County Tennis Association. We're seeing some of these results and people just tanking, and it's really, un- really unfortunate and a waste of time and money again, and and it's wasting your ability to uh, to improve. So now, time for you, Pete, to to give your piece on this. Well, first of all, that was great stuff, and I don't think on our live streams we have the tankers. I think that we have the players really trying yeah. to get the most out of their game. And, and they're learning all this cool stuff that, that you and I are, are talking about and that all the great people that we get to interview are giving. And, and, um, but I, 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 there are some, though. I remember this one lady, I was, was going to do a live clinic, and she was thinking about coming out. And she was obsessed with, she's like, if I come to this clinic, when I go home, am I going to be a 4 Because right now I've been a 3-5 for years. And she's like, and I can play with 4-0s and I can beat 4-0s, but I keep getting rated a 3-5. You know, I just want to come out there and I, I want when I go home, I'll be a 4-0 player. <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't guarantee if you come out for the weekend that you're going to be a 4-0 player. I think you're going to improve. You're going to get a lot of great information. You're going to meet a lot of great people. But it was all about her rating wanting to go up. And and I noticed a lot of three fives. This is what for me. It's like a lot of three fives who say that they can play with four O's and beat them want to be rated a four O so bad. And I just think like, well, wait a second. You've got like the best of all worlds. You can play three five if you want, mm-hmm. and then you can go play four O two if you want. And if you actually can hang with four O's and beat them, it's like three five. It's like where eighty percent of the pool the the pool is as far as. Yeah players to play with and friends to make. And then 4.0 is a pretty high pool too. But then after that, you know, there's less and less people swimming in the pool. And so, yeah, it's a lot of fun to play, but you have less people to play with. So, I mean, I don't think there should be a rush that you have to get that label. On the other hand, I do understand the idea of working hard towards a goal and then there's the validation. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but I do think it gets abused. Like Rick Macy, who I interviewed, two days ago was talking about how it's ruining junior tennis, you know, how it's ruining and it's ruining his job as a coach, uh, as far as working with his players and the parents, how they can't stay focused and they want to play up and they want to play here and they want to go to this academy and that academy and, and that they have their priorities all out of whack. And this is when it becomes dangerous. I don't think it's dangerous to go, I'm a 2-5, someday I want to be a 3-0, someday I want to be a 3-5, someday I want to be a 5-0. Like, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 it should be the feedback that you're getting, not just give me my number. Give me my number and I can go home and I can say I got my number. It, it shouldn't be like that. It should be like Jorge Capistani told me yesterday, he's like, you should be playing for one reason only. It's for feedback. You get the feedback after you win and lose. You take that feedback and you train it the things that you're learning, and then you go test it again by playing, and then you go train it again. And it's just this this loop of train, play, feedback, train, play, feedback. And that's really what we should all be doing. That's how 
all our goals just kind of like just fall right off the bone. Yeah, yeah, perfectly. I agree with that. And yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, I, I think it's fine to set some sort of goal maybe um, of, of trying to reach a level. But, you know, the, the most important thing is like we, we have we have goals like we play a tournament. Like, of course, we want to win it. But you can't really be thinking about that. Like when you're actually playing on the court, you have to think about your game plan, strategy or adjustments and so forth. So, um, yeah, beautifully put there. Some good questions, too, as well, uh, Pete, uh, and, and comments. I don't know if should we go to those or. What yeah, well, what, what particular comment did you like? Yeah, so Jeff had a comment or asking us uh, our views on NTRP versus UTR uh, rating systems. I mean, is it, do you have any thoughts on, on those two systems, uh, Pete? Uh, first of all, I love it, uh, the UTR. I like I like USTA too. I don't I don't like think one or the other is uh, better. I I do I think they have pros and cons. Like for me, three five four zero four five five zero. That's pretty. Like it's not hard to figure out. And I think overall they do a pretty good job. Or some people misrated. Yes, but lots of times too. Like, don't let the rating hold you back. If you're a three five and you feel you should be a four zero, just go play some four zero tennis, you know, and play your three five matches too. So, um, I don't think it's a huge problem that thing, and it's very simple to figure out. UTR. When I first heard, I'm like, what? Like, I'm like an eleven point five point seven five. Like, <laughs> like, come on! It's like it's hard enough as it is. Why are we adding all these ridiculous numbers? But then I watched a junior tournament. And I saw boys playing girls. I saw midgets playing giants. And, and all the matches were really, really close, too. So you think about the, the pressure of, that these kids are growing up with. It's like, you know, a lot of the things that when I was younger that would have just, you know, been so demoralizing as far as like going to play like a little person then losing to them badly, who I know is much younger than me, or going to play, you know, the opposite gender. And they, they beat you. And, and so, but these kids, first of all, are getting used to it. There's, there's no, they, they just go out there. They just accept it. And so I think overall, they're like growing up more uh, balanced the way it should be mentally. And now that I look back at it, I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have had that. Like all the tournaments I went to every time was like all boys. You know, maybe we had one tournament where it was boys and girls. I'm like, damn, I grew up in the wrong time. So I like the idea that anybody can play anybody. I think there's so many benefits to it. So I like them both. But I got to say, especially from a social aspect and maturity aspect, the idea of UTR and meeting all kinds of people. You know, I like the UTR thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually interviewed Dave Fish. This was probably several years back when they were just starting up uh, about the UTR. He's a, I think he's still the head coach of uh an ivy league school was it harvard i think but um yeah i mean i'm I'm also a fan of of both uh i certainly think you know, obviously the usda system can be improved and i know the utr is still pretty new um i don't know if there could be some sort of uh usda maybe even kind of using the utr as another checkpoint but i you know i don't know what they're going to do with that uh, if they c could do that but yeah it's uh, i'm a fan of both systems for sure and um yeah we'll see how they do People did ask our rating. So yeah, Mark Davis, because he's coming out to me, he goes, I expect to be a four or five. <laughs> Didn't you just hear what he said? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. He's so awesome, this guy, Mark Davis. He's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So anyway, 
rating. What, what, remind everybody what you're rated again. 1.4. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm a, I'm a 5.0. Okay. William Gonzalez got to go. See you. Thank you, William Gonzalez. 5.0. That's great. I played 5.0-ish tennis too. Um, I would say between a 5055. Now I don't even know what I'm rated. I know that if I were to go play people that I consider to be at my level, uh, I'd probably get my butt kicked because I teach now and I'm just so into teaching. And also my back is in horrific shape. So even if I could beat somebody, it wouldn't be worth it. So that's where I am. Um, I used to have a huge competitive drive as far as playing matches. When I get out and I do play points and stuff, I still have a very, very big competitive drive, but I don't have an ongoing hunger to where I'm like, I have to get in the league. I have to play matches and all that. I think, I think that might be beyond me. And I'm just super excited about coaching. So I think I've really made that transition, which means I'm older. That means that I know the songs that Maribond doesn't know. Uh, <laughs> That's so- why. That's why. Uh, hey, look at Brent Abel, like in the 70s, still going right. out and gold balls. So it's not necessarily an age thing. I just think it's where you are and what you love to do. Like Rick Macy, he just loves to be coaching from mm-hmm. sunup to sundown. And, you know, so I think it's different for everybody. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've seen you, obviously, you know, you showcase when you're hitting strokes and playing. And I remember that the slicer videos you did, like you solid, man, solid. So we'll see, maybe in the future, you know, I've actually, I had like a little bit of a, back twinge too so for for many days actually i was just stretching and i was thinking wow it's really getting to be that time i've got to be so much more careful with what i do um i think i just got up quickly after a nap and then that was it you know so that's that's how it starts that's how it starts but i will say when you started making your videos and your tennis Mm -hmm. from it Mm -hmm. it looked to me like there was still some marabon baby fat going on and now when i (laughs) Now when I now when I watch your your uh, videos, you're looking like fit as a fiddle. You're looking like you are training to get on the on the tour. Am I right? <laughs> on that? Uh, you know, I actually am training a lot more. Uh, maybe it's also because I'm sucking in my abdominals when I make these recent videos. But no, I I yeah, I think I'm I'm a little better with my fitness. You know, I've I've just uh, in talking with a lot of people. I actually now every single day, as soon as I wake up, I actually ex- exercise. That's my f- first thing that I do besides brushing my teeth and whatever. So um, I found that that's been a great habit that I've had. So uh, thank you for recognizing, appreciate it. You've always been thin and uh, you know having a model-like physique. So I'm just trying to be a little more like you, that's it. <laughs> no. <laughs> for my age, I'm still in really good shape. You and- are, yeah. The crap that I eat, unfortunately, I am lucky. I, I'm so streaky. Like, I'll do really good, and then I fall off the wagon, and then I'll do really good, and I'll be, like, doing good and bad at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I just got to get better. But you know, you know one thing I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. before we leave here is I've noticed a consistent r- rising of the bar from you, okay, mm-hmm. Um, to where it seems like the more I see from what you're doing, it seems like you're really developing like these really successful habits, getting up in the morning, working out the things that you're posting on your social media, the productivity level that you're putting out there for everybody. And how much of that has been affected by the fact that you're always interviewing and learning from world-class players and coaches like how much is that affecting 
and rubbing off on you personally? That is a wonderful question. So it's funny because I, by nature, am actually <laughs> pretty lazy. I would say, you know, I, if you know, if I were to just um, not think about, you know, my goals and trying to improve, I would just sit on the couch and eat Cheetos, you know. But what I do is I try to constantly surround myself and listen to and 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 talk to um, experts who are excelling in their in their field. Um, you know, even when I work out, I'm either listening to a podcast or I actually listen to some of these motivational YouTube channels of people who are not even in tennis sometimes. And they're talking about productivity and, you know, uh, pushing aside fear and what's on the other side and just remembering your whys and, and, uh, things like that. So, uh, it really helps me to, to surround myself with, and learn from the best in the world, just like you're, what you're providing, Pete, in TennisCon 4, you know, it, all these, the, the top-notch coaches in the game. So, um, you know, with the podcast and everything and, and other things, like I'm just constantly trying to learn. And the more I keep hearing and watching people like that, the more I improve. So I think it's really important, you know, especially if you don't have a, a, a mentor, like who can physically be with you, um, you know, the next best, best thing is to attend, you know, Tennis Gone 4 and listen to other um, resources like that, because it's made a big impact on me comparing myself to, you know, even like two years ago, um, um, big change. Yeah, I, I agree. I can see it. And I've thought about it often. Like he's always interviewing all these people and he's po it's clearly rubbing off on you. And, and I feel that for my own personal self. Is I love the time of year of Tennis Con because. I'm interviewing all these coaches, just feeding my brain, hearing one great point after the next. And uh, a lot of it is new or presented in a different way to me every year, which is exciting. A lot of it is just like reinforcement that you need to hear. And so I feel during this time too, that I grow as well. And it's just, it's just really, really awesome. So uh, I'm excited that in a couple of weeks, we're going to be, I think on the week of October 12th, you can get a free ticket to tennis con and, um, you know, like I've heard Maribon today talk about James Blake. Uh, you talked about, uh, who else did you mention? Uh, Emilio Sanchez. Emilio Sanchez that you interviewed. Yeah. Uh, I've mentioned Rick Macy and Jorge Capasane, Jeff Greenwald. And, and, uh, and so all these guys, have, uh, we both talked about Mark Kovacs today, Kovacs. who's now working with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. Yeah. And he works with the best uh, pros in the world. And uh, so, that's the thing, guys. I mean, this is really good stuff. I hope when you are presented with the opportunity to get a lifetime access pass for $67, you take advantage of it. Either do that or make a promise to me. The next time you go, if you happen to bump into a Gigi Fernandez or Essential Tennis or uh, Mark Kovacs, take $0.67 cents out of your pocket and say thank you for your donation to TennisCon because that's essentially what you'd be paying because there's probably going to be about 100 videos this year. And so each video comes out to about 67 cents. So when you see them, you go, hey, hey, great job. Uh, here's 67 cents. <laughs> what you did. Please do that and record it. <laughs> Please do that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, heck of a value. Um, for sure, I'd agree with that. You know, just uh, pick up, uh, you know, Lifetime Access Pass anytime you want. It's like a library where you can just check out all these amazing coaches. You know, you're having problems on a certain stroke. You just go to the forehand lesson and whatnot. Um, it's great value. A um, couple of great things today. Number one is you, you completely crushed the presentation. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. And miserably failed at music trivia again. So no. Oh, we should recap the list for Mark. 
I'll recap the list real quick. Yes. yes, sure, sure. Okay, beautiful. So number one is the first mistake. We don't perform a dynamic warm-up before our matches. Um, number two, second mistake, we don't recognize patterns and we don't make strategic adjustments based on them. Number three is we do not play enough smart, aggressive tennis. We tend to play way too passively and we don't take an, uh, you know, advantage of our opportunities such as short balls. Uh, number four is we worry too much about what we cannot control. And then the last tip is we care too much about our NTRP ratings. That's the recap. All right. And, and Mark Davis says, very good. Yeah. And great job. And Thank you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Were bombs or I guess so. I yeah, I can be for sure. <laughs> okay, guys, we appreciate it. And we'll see you. I'm probably going to do another live stream next Friday. I'll find somebody for us. Maybe it's going to be John Craig, the legend of John yeah. Craig, USPTA elite professional. Definitely go to his YouTube channel. Check out the Tennis Files. Marabon is always, how many of those podcasts have done so far? Uh, 165 podcasts. 165. Ivan Counting. He is on his way to Joe Rogan status. All right, guys. We'll see you all later. Take care. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. I really hope you enjoyed Peter interviewing me on the five biggest mistakes that USTA players make. Let me know what you think about these mistakes. And if you make them, uh, you can just reach me at mirabotten at tennisfiles.com. That's M-E-H-R-B-A-N at tennisfiles.com. And again, uh, really would be great to see you at TennisCon 4, which is happening on October 18th, um, lasting, I think, five days or six days in, in total. Um, there's going to be a lot of amazing coaches and players on there, um, Gigi Fernandez, Rick Macy, Jeff Salzenstein, and a lot of other great coaches, a ton of really awesome, amazing lessons that you can learn from. So, uh, and I'll be on there too. Uh, teaching about offensive topspin lobs. So if you want to watch me and all those coaches, just go to tennisfiles.com slash tenniscon4. That's tennisfiles.com slash tenniscon4. And yeah, I really appreciate you listening in. I will leave you with a quote as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Mother Teresa. And she said, do small things with great love. It's a really great quote, and as always, would appreciate a review of the podcast, uh, which you can do on your podcast app that you use to listen to the show. And with that, again, thank you so much for all your support and looking forward to bringing you more great interviews and presentations and so forth and solo episodes as well on areas of your game that you need to improve. So with that, I hope you have a great week, a great month, a great year, and Keep improving your game 1% every day and you will see some really great improvements over time. Have a fantastic week and we will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.